Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Sublow, here I am, baby. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 305, Reflections, comes to you now via graphenated corridor joists. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Uh, Pete, we spent yesterday doing one of our longest podcasts ever on the supersized Andor three-episode premiere, uh, and that was a ton of fun. We've never gotten three episodes of a show right from Jump Street, Matt. Certainly a lot to digest in the Star Wars Rogue One prequel of a prequel. Uh, so head over to fantasticgeek.com or Apple podcast. Check that out there. Make sure you're current on the first three though, because we discuss all of them. And, uh, just a couple days ago was our She-Hulk episode six podcast as our She-Hulk podcast moves to She-Hulk Fridays. Uh, a show that continues to be a uh, delightful action comedy presentation. Hitting what in the majority of Marvel Disney Plus series is the end episode here. We still have three more to go. Little bit of a fake out this week. That's fine. We, of course, took it with good humor. Others, uh, not so much. And bringing things back to Star Trek, some sad news. Just in the last couple of days, Oscar winner Louise Fletcher passed away at age 88. Uh, won the Oscar there for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but... Uh, we all loved to hate her as Kai Wynn on Deep Space Nine. What a presence, I mean, and that Star Trek even gets to lay claim to a performer of this magnitude and what she did as Kai Wynn. I mean, I've, I've got goosebumps thinking about her. Uh, she is one with the paw wraiths now. I will say, Pete, I feel like I... I feel like I avoid Kai Wynn episodes because she's so scary and so troubling. So that's that's the ultimate compliment that it's like I I don't want to see her causing trouble. Uh, and certainly her presence in this realm shall be missed. With that, let's head into the mission briefing for this week's Lower Decks episode. Program complete. Enter when ready. Rutherford sleeps and Rutherford dreams. A nightmare where he can't keep the engine together. He's got two eyes and the device explodes. Reveal of a secret past. We get the credits, then Freeman gives a log, and we're back at Tolgana 4, updating some power systems. It'll be easy peasy and time to recruit via the recruitment booth. That's the assignment given to Mariner and company. But Rutherford is off his game. He's been having the same dream night after night. Tendy notes some recurrent memories in his long-term memory buffer. She purges it and suggests he get a nap. He does, and the implant flickers red. Rutherford is mean and angry. He hates the design of the ship and notes the implant. In the reflection, blue-eyed Rutherford is trapped in the reflection. Red-eyed Rutherford goes walking. Red Rutherford, oh wait, and the other is blue Rutherford, so I guess this is like Superman Red, Superman Blue. Regardless, Red is a jerk to Barnes, reducing her to tears, and then he goes to see Tendi. He finds out when the security shift will be, then turns angry, pushing her down. 
An emergency medical team is called for, but Red evades them and makes his way to the transporter room. He's trying to beam down, but one can't beam down to Ogana 4, Shax reminds him, and he knows that Baby Bear isn't Baby Bear. Red transports to the captain's yacht. Shax phasers him, and Red and Blue are down. In sick bay, they check, and there's no anaphasic presence. The memory and personality are from a decade ago. Which Rutherford will emerge when he wakes up? Inside his mind, both versions talk, trapped in the mindscape. The brain can't handle two full consciousnesses, so a partition was created. Red takes them back to a garage bay and a fast one-seater ship. The implant was used to block Red's history. And all those glitches, that was Red trying to take over. They need to battle out, and only one will survive. They'll fight in the garage, where they would sneak while in the academy. Illegal Devron races got money to fund more ships. Red suggests they both build ships and race. The winner stays, and the loser leaves the brain. They shake. We have a building montage with Blue making a Delta Flyer, and Red has a true racer. Racing time. Now this is space racing in pods. Anyhow, great racing moments with rogue planets and zipping and whooshing. A Romulan ship decloaks, firing at red. It's rough, but Blue has a crew, his friends, since anything goes in the imagination. Red is on his way down, and the ship is destroyed. But Blue's tendy beams red into the flyer. The crew has saved the day, and, back to the white void, red is bleeding and dying. He fades away, reflecting on all the anger he had. But in blue, the rage is gone. Sometimes it's better to grow. But wait, the implant. Remember. The engine exploded. Surgeons got to him. And an unseen Starfleet officer wanted to cover things up and make him remember that the implant was elective. Red says thanks for one last race. Blue makes his way out and wakes up in sickbay. He's okie dokie. Meanwhile, Mariner jaws with Ransom. She'd better not step outside of that recruitment booth, and if she does, she'll be sent to Starbase 80. Dang, Starbase 80, the worst. The shuttle goes down, and they're set up amidst other booths. Mariner's trying really hard, though the prospective transporter tech says no. A lady from the archaeologist guild is selling a much more interesting job, and independence. But how often can they get dilithium, asks a lady. The archaeologist says it's like joining the Borg. Turns out archaeologist Petra Aberdeen was in Starfleet, served on the victory, then left. All that violence against the Klingons, the Romulans, the Cardassians, Starfleet is a pseudo-navy. Archaeologists get to touch mummies, and Mariner and Boimler are made fun of by both collectors, and Cisco's death, and those who worry about alien bugs who went into the butts. It's a conspiracy from the episode Conspiracy. Outpost scientists stop by, and they're asking about the Starfleet uniforms. And why do those uniforms keep changing? And how uniform are they, since they change all the time? Boimler's rank, Pip, is taken off, and he rages, telling all the other booth boobs what's wrong with them. And stop trapping people inside of games! Some folks are impressed. You get that kind of confidence in Starfleet? Wowee! Ransom checks on them, and he's happy to see Mariner has signed a bunch of folks. But Boims is still angry. He's in trouble with Ransom sending him to the brig for a night. Ransom is a bit impressed. You gave it to those loudmouths, so when you get out, we'll get a drink. Rutherford shares with everyone that a higher-up was using him back in the day. The search continues. Mariner will do the mission log, and she does, keeping folks away from the booth. And the archaeologist calls up. She's stolen the Grand Nagus's stick. If Mariner ever wants to leave Starfleet, she'll be in touch. Mariner looks off and wonders.
Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with the original Rutherford. So to learn that a decade ago, Rutherford was a randy, uh, you know, slang talking pod racer um, who suffered this accident, got the implant and that the uh, work he was doing was still somehow entrenched in some kind of cover up program. I know there's been some criticism in some quarters that this season of Lower Decks doesn't have the overall story that season two did. And I don't, first of all, I don't really agree with that sentiment because I don't feel like season two each week was contributing to the overall story. There was, you know, some pack led stuff here and you go away for a couple of weeks. But to get this kind of really emotionally grounded Rutherford episode, uh, Rutherford A plot. Um, you know, it's a powerful story for what it is for half of this half hour of animated Star Trek and so forth. Um, but it's a really compelling sci-fi presentation and the person that you were and shaped by your behaviors and shaped by your memories and so forth. Um, elements, perhaps, as I said in the recap of Superman Red and Superman Blue and all of that. But just a great way, A, to dig into the Rutherford that we know um, and halfway through the episode i was like oh we're gonna find out like who the secret guy was like the mystery from last season is going to be concluded here uh i like that it's not that still is a mystery that's out there and that could propel us uh to more discussion this season and what does this original rutherford do here uh goes after barnes who we've not seen in a while makes her cry Okay, uh, then Tendi, which really upsets Rutherford there. Stick a pin in that. Okay, uh, he was not a good person. And this accident beyond, you know, whatever uh, cover up this serves to brush under the rug um, led to a more positive outcome. Yeah, I don't think they hit you over the head with a Star Trek lesson, but. Here's a Star Trek lesson. Sometimes those low points can help define who you are and be important turning points in your life, positive turning points in your life, uh, negative as they might be in the moment. Moving on to the threats here, Pete. I don't think a threat for us, but it's certainly a threat to Ransom. Uh, pardon me, a threat to Mariner is uh, Ransom saying, don't leave that booth. Yeah, that he continues to be a, a force here uh, riding Mariner to do the right thing. Um, and that it's ultimately Boimler who goes rogue and he's the one that leaves the booth. Uh, never said that he couldn't get somehow gets him uh, put in the brig for the first time. And I think too, the, the uh, Boimler meltdown, it's a great example of a theme I've hit on periodically with lower decks which is kind of like sometimes the show goes reality adjacent uh and that's in the world of animation and so forth could i imagine a live action boimler you know going to booth to booth to booth and smashing things and yelling things in live action it would strain it here okay we get it like it's both real it's also like part of the animated fun um and again 
another theme I hit on week after week, it's lower decks leaning into the the pluses that animation gets you that it's not as scary to see cartoon guy smash stuff and throw up dust and have things go flying. It's not kind of a full on, you know, uh, HBO, you know, rage and acting moment looking into the soul. It's kind of silly fun, uh, albeit, uh, as you said, Pete, with some uh, some consequences for him. Archaeologist Petra Aberdeen, Matt, former Starfleet turned uh space thief space thief archaeologist pete if only someone involved in the star trek universe also had directed uh, a movie about an archaeologist who liberates things and the dark universe movie thing never happened and so forth so uh if nothing else pete mike mcmahon's lower decks daring to include an archaeologist that even had some passing similarity to the Tom Cruise character in The Mummy, uh, something that Alex Kurtzman has called the low point of his career. Um, That this episode traffics in the tropes of the the Starfleet, the Star Trek archaeologists, conspiracy theorists, again, uh, you know, messing with outpost scientists, constantly getting in trouble and, you know, brandishing belts and vests with pockets uh, and attempting to rip on uh, Starfleet for having uniforms. I mean, really, really great use of the tropes throughout the franchise. It is. And I'm thinking of how on yesterday's and or podcast i was giving praise to that show not being um kind of overly tied into fan service moments um you know this is the origin of the fuzzy dice you know it, it it's not headed in that direction so I'm, i was saying yay don't do all that fan service stuff i was saying that yesterday today this scene i you know i can say that the whole scene with the collectors and the you know, run along home game people, stop putting people in games. Like that's all so fun. And I'm wondering, you know, among other things, is that kind of what animation gets you? Because again, this isn't really, really real. So I'm more open to, you know, how many of those Easter eggs did I catch? I think I got all of them, you know, kind of willing to play that game with this show. Um, and maybe because it's animated where I'm, I'm happy to kind of move on from that in other live action universes. Let's use our long-range sensor wars to scan for theories. Pete, now that the show has returned to the secret Rutherford past, and as I said before, the flashback, uh, the flashback moment that we got last season regarding his implant, Rutherford's implant going in, now that that's not just a setup for, hey, secret Rutherford past, and now we've explained everything, we have not explained everything, how much of the next five episodes do you think tie into this larger Starfleet, I'll say it, Pete, conspiracy? I mean, his face has essentially taken on, uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy's Spock from Star Trek III's poster for the season. It's, it's central. We have to return to it in some way, shape, or form. He's cognizant now of the cover-up. So I'm sure he's going to be motivated to find out more. 
and I wonder too, you know, how how big a story point does this end up becoming? Um, we're increasingly at a point in the Star Trek timeline where things are wide open. Um, I think off the top of my head, we're roughly 15 years away from some of the events of Picard season one. So yeah, if the show wants to scale as big as, you know, look, there's leadership that's rotten at the core or, or something of that sort. You know, again, I hesitate to invoke the interesting, but also very strange conspiracy episode from TNG. But if they wanted to do something like that, um, I guess there's this, there's the timeline space to do it and this this show could do it uh with heart and comedy so time will tell that they could even go to the conspiracy parasites and then given the show utter the phrase butt bugs um yeah i mean it's it's the perfect format to reference and return to that could they do more with it sure I think it's too good as it is to just leave it there. I would agree. And I also, you know, again, I don't have a problem with how the first half of the season has been. If you're looking, if you, the show, if you, the viewer are looking for some kind of, you know, larger season theme to start to coalesce, I mean, entering the second half as we will next Thursday, uh, that's a fine time to start to do some of that. I think particularly, you know, you have that look that Mariner has on her face at the end. Mm-hmm. We know she's wondered, you know, is she going to get, or, or there was the joke last week, oh, eventually I'll get kicked out of Starfleet. Um, I don't know that we've ever really seen Mariner in a moment of private reflection wonder if Starfleet is for her. And I feel like that's a, again, in a show that can go, you know, ha, 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 funny, funny, funny. And then one of the great emotional cliffhangers, you know, being last season, Mom Arrested, you know, does the show do this again for how long we know, you know, how long we don't know, but, you know, does Mariner leave Starfleet at some point? I mean, that's your season three cliffhanger, isn't it? Haven't we effectively set that up? She's going to Vosh out of Starfleet, Matt. And that that could be bolstered by the fact that for the purposes of this episode, archaeologist lady at the next booth just could have been archaeologist lady the fact mm-hmm. that she's named look if nothing else petra that's aberdeen former starfleet yeah like it, it all kind of sticks in the head more than you, you know like who was the booth to the left i don't remember i think it got referenced at some point that's not the important one it's the booth to the right where this is a character who who could be called up in four or five episodes and there's the the exit for mariner yeah, and with the first officer uh, constantly, you know, giving her scut work, uh, at what point do you resent it and bounce? Yeah, which, like, is a real-world option, obviously, in a Star Trek sense. I mean, it's rare for somebody to be like, and I resign Starfleet and leave the show. Um but it is an option for Mariner. Again, all of this kind of is, is with a number of asterisks. Like, they killed off Shax for good, and he came back three episodes later. And Mom was arrested, and it was dealt with pretty darn quickly in the next episode. So I'm not saying, you know, season four is simply without Beckett Mariner, period. But, you know, hit hit those emotional milestones along the way, and we'll we'll worry about how long-term it is at a later point. 
for a franchise and a show that traffics so heavily in a concept of teamwork, that'd be, though we've set it up here, a, a stunning development that the main character would leave this organization and, you know, her, her friends, uh, particularly in a time of need. Maybe, Pete, and this is a point I'm going to keep hitting until I'm right about it, maybe Mariner plus the archaeologist finding some sort of, um, you, you know, uh, time crystal, for lack of a better word, and Boimler in tow, like, no, wait, Mariner, come back. Boom, the flash of the time crystal. Is that perhaps, is it the archaeologist storyline what sends, uh, what opens the door to Mariner and Boimler and perhaps Petra Aberdeen uh, showing up on Strange New Worlds or the Strange New Worlds world coming into this story. That's that's not a bad pitch right there. You know, and, and again, week after week, the question is, we know there's the crossover. Does it start here and go there? Is it all Strange New Worlds? Is it, you know, whatever that might look like. Um it is one one way to handle the whole hybrid nature is mm -hmm. animated Strange New Worlds on lower decks and then Strange New Worlds live action lower decks. You know what I mean? So there's that too. We had Towel Guy here in the hallway as Rutherford is, uh, you know, having the nightmare at the very beginning. You mentioned last week somebody's gone through all the episodes and noted he's in each at least they got this cameo out of the way at the beginning of the episode. I must confess, in you know, in the week I had looked up uh, his uh, memory alpha entry, and it's because what are we? We're twenty five episodes into this show, right? Yeah. He he's been in something like eight or nine. You know, sometimes dialogue, sometimes just in the background, but it's a sizable person. It was a larger percentage than I thought of towel guy who I know has a name, but look, let's just face it. He's not that important at the moment. He can just be towel guy to, to most of us. And then with the, uh, Tolgana four adventure here, uh, told at the start that we're returning to it. Um, that of course, from the second episode of the series, when, uh, Mariner went with her old Klingon friend, through all the various ethnic districts. And it had me wondering, I mean, watching the episode first time through, you know, why return here? Okay, well, for animation, one reason could be to reuse pre-existing, you know, uh, sets, quote-unquote, backgrounds and so forth. I do think the reason might actually be a better story reason than that. Um, it's Tolgana 4's protective field that prevents uh red rutherford from beaming down i wonder if that's the reason as they're putting the story together well we need something to keep him on the ship otherwise it's just beam out and you know gone to the four corners of the wind well there's one place in the lower decks canon where that can't happen and that's Tolgana four so it would be a neat it would be a neat kind of use to a tool that they created a story tool that they created if that's why out of all places in the universe they went to Tolgana four the recruitment booth, of course, something from our era, but to set it up as a thing and to have Tendi have joined Starfleet because of one. Yeah, I think the Tendi line gives credence to the goofiness of a recruitment booth because the Star Trek 
the Star Trek we've seen, uh, most of which involves the tippity top and the best of the best and people who, you know, uh, what's the line from Strange New Worlds? Like people have aspired their whole life to be in Starfleet. And if you don't want to be here, you know, get out of the way for the people who do. You know, there's all that highest of aspiration. Um, it does make sense to me. Sometimes you go out there, you go to the whatever fair and you you... I don't want to say goose the recruitment numbers, but you spread the word. Again, it's one of these things where, because Lower Decks is, as a concept, not the best of the best and the tip of the spear and all of that, you get to see some of the dirty work that you never quite considered before. And that they have the uh, photos of Kirk and Spock where you could put your head through it and uh, the Horda is down by their feet. I mean, look, come on. The next, uh, the next Star Trek mission official uh, convention. I think the next one is in Seattle next year, or whatever. Come on, here's here's what you got to do: Paramount Plus, Star Trek Universe branded cutouts. If you maybe have some concerns about people putting their faces in the same face hole and whatnot in a quasi post COVID world, okay, fine. Maybe you save that for a year or two down the line. But it's right there. Go print that out. Ship it to the next convention. That could be a whole big thing. You get that. You get a I know Paramount Plus button or something like that. It's it's there for the taking. Starbase eighty continues to get some hate. The worst, the worst. <laughs> um, Damn. <laughs> to a point where it's you know isn't there the line in there where it's like I mean obviously Ransom threatens it but then later on he's like no it really is the worst like that's he's admitting like it's a it's a false threat because it's that bad Mariner's not bad enough for Starbase eighty. They have to go there at some point, right? We have to see just how awful it is. Um, I'm going to split the baby here, Pete. I'm going to split the baby by way of the um, the uh, the who was it? The Choo 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 Sisters? Is that what they're called? You know those Zebulon Sisters. We saw people see it, but we didn't see it, right? So it's the most amazing thing but we didn't see it. Maybe they do go to Starbase 80 and from the outside, it looks terrible. And they go, all right, you know, Boimler Mariner go in there and, you know, swap out the, the crystal or whatever it is. You know, one hour later, they come back. They're like, it's worse. It's worse than we possibly could imagine. <laughs> are all the, is this just a place for all the terrible people in Starfleet? They didn't even have a working whatever, you know, and then we go, whoa, it really is the worst of the worst. Um, you know, don't show, do tell could be a better use here that that could work uh spock's helmet second time we've seen it on uh lower decks continues to be uh a, a healthy part of the canon but here uh at the collector's booth um a, a collectible to be true um yeah this is an episode that in particular leans into some of that nitty-gritty um, stuff I know there's the stat on Memory Alpha that this episode features more different Starfleet uniforms than any other episode, uh, and that's including the cardboard cutout and so forth. Um, so yeah, just things like that. I know the reference to the Technical Academy is like it's the second time it's ever been referenced, and the first time was in an on-screen bio for somebody, um, which probably was made more clear when next generation was remastered so like they're going for they're going for the most obscure stuff and it's an opportunity to really revel in it 
the Omicron SETI 3 spores, Matt, and reach back to not only the original series, but also referenced on The Next Generation. Um, yeah, that was a fun presence. And I think anybody who has anybody who has fond memories of that really, because I think, was that a season three TOS episode? Um, I think so. Because I, th- I just recall, how about this way? It was at a point in the series where new ideas were welcome. Maybe some staff was starting to cycle out, you know, season three, a lot less gene and so forth. Just the idea of like Spock getting shot in the face with, uh, you know, seeds from a space flower. And now he gets to be, you know, the, the Mr. Hyde version of Spock in terms of like my friend and emotions and love you. And I'm going to love the women and all of that. It's such a great story conceit. And, uh, yeah, again, I think anybody who just remembers the weird flower that shoots people in the face um, immediately would have recognized that. And thank goodness they had it in a little uh, glass case there. Is Starfleet a violent pseudo navy? I think Starfleet is a pseudo navy. I think the Starfleet is prepared to be a military uh, force when needed, and sometimes that's when the story needs it. Like. Oh man, things are kind of boring on Deep Space Nine, circa season two or season three. Uh, let's have a war with some people, or let's have Klingon tensions. Like, for as much as Star Trek, as a, Star Trek as an entity, if you will, for as much as it would love to do, you know, little baby space alien episodes and and episodes where we reflect on the nature of racism by the guys that look one way on the face and then the other way on the face. Like sometimes you go. I'm out of ideas where peace and love and hard work um, save the day. And we're getting it's it's circa 1990 and we're getting sued because we used Moriarty and maybe it's public domain. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, how about we have a big war with people? Because then you get Mr. War fire and you get explosions and things of that sort. So I know why story wise war happens in uh, Star Trek and Starfleet's ready to deal with that. Just not, not, that's not their primary focus most of the time. The blinky hat that Rutherford wears in uh, Sick Bay, reminiscent of the positronic brain uh, apparatus for data on the next generation. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously not a one to one reference there since that was presumably inside data's head although we all know it was brent spiner wearing a bald (laughs) cap with wires and led lights on it but um yeah just a fun a fun reference to that kind of technology uh when uh original rutherford in the headspace there is constructing his pod racer they make no bones about the fact that the engine is a lightsaber. Um, look, a little healthy competition, a little healthy reference across the stars as is, uh, is all good stuff. I mean, we've obviously had a small amount of spaceship racing in Star Trek, you know, the Nick Locarno, Wesley at the Academy episode, uh, and then to a certain degree, the Delta Flyer. Um, you want to lean into it even more here. I mean, it's not a sacred, it's not sacred to say, well, Star Trek can't possibly imagine X-Wing races or similar. And you want to have a little extra reference in there? It's all good. 
and we had Cisco and the prophets uh, referenced here. The idea that there's a truther uh, rumor about that. Yeah, nice to get the Cisco shout out as well, particularly since you know, as I think most people know, Avery Brooks has kind of been firm in saying, you know, my Star Trek time is over. I'm not going to do the documentary. Not going to, not going to circle back a whole bunch. So that's fine. So don't expect Cisco to step out of the shadows on Lower Decks or any of the current Star Trek universe shows. Uh, but you want to have him be referenced as one of the famous guys of his time. That that does warm the heart. He did tango with the uh, Wadi game people, you know, to oh. move along home. And here they pop up again. I mean, I remember watching that episode. I was already, as as listeners probably know, I was already as a as a haughty teen. I was already like this first season of Deep Space Nine. This is not my Star Trek. Um, <laughs> I distinctly remember watching that episode and being like, yeah, this is why this is not my Star Trek. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, I hung around all day to watch this episode Sunday at 7 p.m. And now it's not very good. So maybe I stopped watching this show. And Pete, just a reminder, even the greatest Star Trek show ever can have its duds. Quite a bit spread throughout the various uh, shows, Matt. Voyager here after some Deep Space Nine stuff, the Delta Flyer, Boimler uh, vents about the Doctor having agency and rights. Yeah, I mean, cute fan servicey things. Also, just a reminder that in-universe, Voyager is what probably the second most famous 24th century ship after the enterprise d um and if you're of the age that our lower deckers are you know voyager might be even a bigger deal just you know like oh i remember when they were four years old when i was four years old that's when voyager came back and um and all of that so again i find myself contrasting yesterday's andor discussion where it's like less fan service make it serious um, and all the times we've said Lower Decks is a fairly serious show with comedic moments, uh, or it has its serious moments, however you want to parse it. Um, but still, they're able to have these moments, and they feel they feel authentic. They feel realistic. Has Boimler really taken the Kobayashi Maru 17 times? Oh, I imagine so. I imagine he's <laughs> fails and goes in there and fails again. Pete, maybe he's even immune to the lesson which is you know like accepting your failure and all of that i mean this is the same boy mode let's not forget that on the uh last season's episode with the the hollow training pods you know he went back time and time again to get that 100 in the borg simulation um and that was before they needed him to stay in there and so forth but um yeah i would totally buy that uh what did he tell the ferengi to do um i i think on unrepeatable things uh i think we'll just leave it at that things that should not be uttered uh lest you are enraged that people have uh, besmirched your starfleet with that let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir we go to the twitter poll in which people were asked which is their favorite star trek conspiracy theory pete the top vote getter with 59.1 percent was butt bugs Next on the list, uh, with 31.8%, Wolf359 was an inside job. Uh, 
towards the bottom of the barrel, 4.5% of people said it's all a dream. I'm thinking of you, Riker, trapped in a psychiatric hospital uh, episode. And then Pete, also with 4.5%, perhaps the uh, the least possible conspiracy theory, even though it's a real-world one, Rick Berman's coming back soon. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, Pete, there are people across the fandom. Okay, it happens in Star Wars, too. They want their daddy to come back and make all the uh you know all the new people go away uh i, I don't know what it is i don't know what's up with that but uh, i don't think rick Berman's coming back pete some tweets here from spider ham lincoln tess lc 139 reflections is easily one of the two best episodes of season three i like how lower decks plays fast and loose with references to past trek whether that be guest characters cameos or obscure moments of hilarious or sincere nostalgia Lower Decks in general is a true delight, and I look forward to it every week. Pete, I want to focus on a phrase he uses here, because I think that does explain why some of the fan service moments work. Sincere nostalgia. There is a sincerity to it, whether it's the <laughs> Spock hat or Jump Along Home or whatever. It's it's in-universe, but it's also from the heart. Sure. And, you know, I, there is someone out there that that has good feelings about those episodes there's enough of them and it's different yeah there are the ones that everybody always references but you know for whatever reason there's somebody who's got a soft spot for move along home bless their hearts (laughs) james the sagacious big killing on twitter says the rutherford conspiracy will pay off big but when uh Pete, I know we discussed it quite a bit. Do you think it gets resolved this season? Uh, kinda. Okay. Uh, penultimately, Funnest Frontier, that's at Dex Lower, says, I love this episode. Boimler's my favorite in the episode. I loved it when he loses his, Pete, I'll say stuff. I loved <laughs> Rutherford's backstory. I really want to know where they are going with it. It seems Rutherford may be the real Section 31 sleeper agent. Ooh, goosebumps at that. Uh, and Craig Main, that's Craig M1701, says, could the shadowy figure be Sloan? It's Trek, so anything is possible. Any thoughts there, Pete? The idea of Sloan, also of future guy, uh, a possibility as well. Or the two, I think a lot of people are throwing out there. I mean, my bet is that it'll be, you know, its own uh, character and you know somebody who will appear in real time on the show um, you know maybe that's how you further break the fellowship at the end of the season maybe Rutherford goes uh, first uh, and then um, Mariner doesn't feel so bad about going to check out this opportunity as an archaeologist as Craig says it's Trek so anything is possible And making our multiverse of podcasts possible is everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek, keeping us listener supported even as we rock and roll with all these, all these shows for the next month, this glorious purpose here and uh, our thanks to them. So very vital. We're four podcast episodes away from equaling all of 2021 at this point. We're easily going to surpass that and have our biggest bandwidth 
year uh, and it could not be possible without the people at patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from. Get yourself over there today. Can't contribute. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating on this or any of our 32 podcast feeds. With only five episodes left to this offering of Star Trek, indeed, the rest of Star Trek for 2022. Okay, I'm not quite counting Prodigy. I'm not a Prodigy guy. You're a Prodigy guy. We'll just agree to disagree there. Pete, how can people be in touch with you to talk Star Trek? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,734 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H. Like it today. As we wrap up podcasting our fifth episode of the weekend, She-Hulk 106, Andor 1, 2, and 3, and Lower Decks 305. This has been quite a run. Pete on the Pop Culture Podcast, back next She-Hulk Friday for the next episode of that show. Andor on Star Wars Saturday and Lower Decks, keeping it firm on Star Trek Sundays. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. See you at the finish line, fam. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?